do uh, our study for you. Proverbs chapter 4. Dave, would you check that air and just see if you could push that down a little bit? I think we're all kind of dying in here. So we're in Proverbs. A verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Proverbs. That's what we're doing. Last week, we journeyed into Proverbs chapter 4, and I gave you a small outline. Uh, Proverbs, it's the family tradition, the cycle of wisdom. Quality of life, parents uh, provide for him. That's what Solomon's going to be talking about. Recommends that tried and true wisdom to his children. He's talking about passing it on. And then he gives a little bit more. He says, specifies the nature of part of that wisdom. We're going to talk about that tonight. And eventually, encourages them to follow that example and teach their own children the devout, devout wisdom of their family traditions. Now, we're going to expand that quite a bit. I also showed you this. The Solomon was observing this. Somebody tell me what the cliche goes to that. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He's saying, you know, how your parents were, it could be possibly that's the way you are, good or bad. I showed you verse after verse in Galatians, or excuse me, in Genesis about curses being passed down. And again, it's just a very quick review. It says that the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and trans transgressions, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. So there's a spiritual law that says if your family was wicked, they're going to pass that wickedness down. That's God's word not mine. And it goes on and says this, I showed you how many times how families and people use those, these things to control others. And some families will do, well, I told you about this first. I told you about, you start with your dad or whatever is being put into you. We have what's called nurturing and naturing. Uh, you are natured by your DNA. That's what you're born with. You can't change it. You're nurtured by the people that are around you. Obviously, your parents and your friends around you. That's all data for our lives. Then it becomes information. Then that leads to knowledge. And that eventually leads to your wisdom of how to act. And then, of course, your actions. So I told you how sometimes families use these things to control people. Isolation, money, feelings, sex, children, threats, the dominance, uh, intimidation. Many people and families can use this for power over others. And uh, they may even not know they're doing it, but they do it. Then I showed you how this happens in, bi in biblical, in the scripture. We know that feeling, we know that sex, Judah, David, Solomon, and Ammon all had sexual problems. It was passed down. And we know that David, if you read the Psalms, David was on his deathbed and he had a venereal disease. And so uh, we could show you the psalm where that is. And we know that Solomon had problems with it. We know that Judah had problems with it. We know that Ammon raped his sister had problems with it. Then we saw children. Bathsheba was controlling Solomon because of the children. Solomon was trying to control Rehoboam and Jeroboam who split the nation. We know that, that uh, threats, Ishmael's children down to Islam's heritage live under threats even today. Islam is a, is a bunch of threats. Uh, they, they incorporate people, young men who are rebellious into their, into their ranks as jihadists because they threaten them with going to hell and not being in, and not being in God's favor. So the threats are used many, many times. Then we have dominance, the Jezebel spirit that's passed down. I said this and didn't get in too much trouble for many of you, so I'll say it again. Uh, hopefully I don't. If you have a strong domineering grandmother, it's quite possible if she has daughters that one of them will be strong and domineering. And it's quite possible that one of her daughters will be strong and domineering. It's passed down. It's a learned habit. Then you go, boy, I'm going to not get too much trouble. I'm keep going fast on that one. Herod's, uh, then you have intimidation. Herod the Great and Herod Antipas, they ruled by intimidation. They killed anybody that opposed them. Their, their children, their wives. Their Herod killed his mother-in-law. Um, you have isolation, depression of Elijah. The Bible says Elisha got a double portion of Elijah's power. He also got a double portion of his, of his depression. Elijah was, Elisha, Elijah was very depressed. He actually asked God to kill him at one time. And Elisha did the same thing twice. So we see these passing down of things. And then, so I told you, uh, as we go, I paralleled them to the biblical personalities who pass these negative things down to their offspring. Let me give you another chart I created to emphasize what can happen to us without godly intervention. 
So I didn't give you this one, but I'll give it to you now. So you have a sinful hereditary source. That's the, uh, that's the center part up there. And then what happens, you have, it produces a sinful present, a desire. That produces a sinful, promotes a sinful present, that's a thought. And then that results in a sinful present, an action. So you have a source, the desire, a thought, and an action. Simple way. You have a dad who tells you that you've got to be successful, he's successful. He pushes a son to try to earn money as much as he possibly can, tells him that. And that's great, that's wonderful, to a certain point. If it rules out everything else, what will happen is it will become a desire that's passed on to try to please the Father. And then that will become a thought and that's all that will take him over is his thoughts of that. And then an action. And basically what will happen is he'll find himself, uh, I just wrote to somebody uh, last week, a guy that's um, wanting me to come to, um, where does he want me to go, Brian? Montana. Montana, thank you. Uh, to, to speak on, on Revelation. And uh, he told me he's a, he's a successful businessman. He's watching this right now, as a matter of fact, probably, and wants me to come there. And uh, I told him, I was writing back to him, and he was talking about how successful he, uh, not necessarily bragging at all, but he was telling me that he was, in a, he was a successful businessman. He was, a, he was on the board of several Fortune 400 companies. And he said that, you know, his life, he has done a lot of things uh, for success and found out recently that uh, that's not where it's at. And I told him, I said, you know, it's unfortunate that some people climb the ladder of success only to find out that the ladder's leaning on the wrong building. And so, you know, that's, that's what happens. And so this is the whole idea of what's going on here. So we know that knowledge is, and wisdom, uh, we talk about real wisdom that makes powerful decisions. It all starts with knowing that raw data information must be processed upwards. And a matter of fact, it is. So your data, your, you get it, you pull it in from your sources, whether it's your parents, your family life, your traditions, uh, the people around you, TV, the media. It becomes information and makes helps. It's starting to push you to a decision. It becomes your knowledge. You'll start to quote those things, and then eventually it'll be your purpose and your wisdom. So either that can be good or it can be bad. Then I gave you this. I gave you a family tree. Now I'm not going to ask you how many filled this out, but the reason I gave it to you is because many times when one of our relatives dies, we have a, we have a we have a uh, a tendency to idolize them and make them saints. My father died. I miss my dad. He was a great dad to me. But my, my dad wasn't somebody who always did everything right. And so what he didn't do right could be passed down to me, and I have to be aware of it. So I gave you that so that you can, you can ascertain what that is in your life. And it's a real candid way to do that. Uh, I doubt that many people challenge us to do something like that. So I did that last week. Uh, now we know Solomon's writing prior, before Christ. We know that Jesus breaks all those curses. Somebody say amen. I'm nothing like my father was. I'm nothing like my family was. So he breaks those curses. But he's still giving us wisdom. I have this idea that people get saved, but sometimes they take a lot of the junk in their salvation that they had before. When you get saved, you don't just, you know, instantly turn to, turn to do everything right, do you? Somebody say amen. No. A lot of things float over and we have to unlearn some things. That's why you're in a Bible study, by the way. And then I gave you the, uh, the proverb of the week. Wisdom is the principal thing. Get wisdom and get understanding. That's the principal thing. So uh, tonight we'll continue on and we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 10 to 13. It's a practical exhortation. He wants to tell us something. So he says this. My child, again, that's that relationship of learning. Listen to me and do as I say and you will have a long and good life. I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in straight paths. If you haven't noticed by now, we're four chapters in and he's still talking about wisdom. It's, it's almost like, I know you're hearing me, but I really want you to hear me. You've got to hear it. So he goes on and says this. If you live a life guided by wisdom, you won't limp or stumble as you run. That's powerful. Carry out my instructions. Don't forsake them. Guard them, for they will lead you to a fulfilled life. Now, 
We're going to hear those wisdom statements as we, as we go along in the book of Proverbs. But he's still giving you a primer. It's almost as if wisdom knows we won't get it first off. It's as if she's saying to us, okay, I told you how to make wise decisions, break the curses around you, but I know you. Just because you know the truth doesn't necessarily mean you'll do the truth. And that is the truth. So I'll repeat it in another way, she tells us. Uh, because wisdom knows that even those of us who have knowledge are thick-headed at times. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, let me give you something. The patient thought he was dead. His psychiatrist had him stand before a mirror and repeat many times, dead men don't bleed. Dead men don't bleed. Dead men don't bleed. Then he stuck a pin in the patient's finger and made it bleed a little. See now, the doctor said triumphantly. Yes, I see now, the patient replied. Dead men do bleed. You'll get it later at home, I'm sure. And sometimes we feel that we just don't want to be uh, pushed into do anything, don't we? Uh, in 1937, architect Frank Lloyd Wright built a house, a home for industrial uh, baron uh, Hibbert Johnson. One rainy evening, Johnson was entertaining distinguished guests uh, for dinner when the roof began to leak. The water seeped through directly above Johnson, Johnson himself, dripping steadily onto his bald head. Uh, Irady called Wright in Phoenix, Arizona. He said, Frank, you built me this beautiful house and we enjoy it very much. But I have told you, but I have told you the roof leaks, and right now I am with some uh, friends and distinguished guests, and it is leaking right on top of my head. Wright's reply was heard all over the, uh, over by all the guests. Well, he said, why don't you just move your chair? Sometimes we're too thick-headed. We just want to do some, some things our way and not get what really we're supposed to do. The truth is, you can be saved and still be thick-headed. Somebody say amen to that. You can be saved and still be dogmatic. Ha and let me tell you this: Have you ever been in a in a church? Board meeting? Have you ever been in a church board meeting? I've been in more church board meetings than I care to be in. And sometimes church board meetings can be worse than anything else. Now, sometimes they're great, but people can be very, very thick-headed. So look at what wisdom is saying. In verse 11, it says this. It says, I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. And then it says this, and it can be music to us, by the way. It says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Don't go on in it. Turn away from it and pass on. So let me ask you a question. So you're watching a movie. You go to a movie. You pay your money for a movie. You're watching a movie. And all of a sudden, God's name's taken in vain. What happens to you? You get that dark through you? You feel that, that, that little chill, that, that ooh, man, you know, that just bought, does it come out of your mouth? Oh, man, I remember being with uh, some family members, not immediate family. And we were at a movie, and something came with a string of expletives against God. And I went, ugh. And they said, it's just a movie. It's the way people talk. It's not the way I talk. You know, there is a way. We know what's good in our life. We know what's evil in our life. We know that. We have a built-in barometer of, because we know God, so we know it's evil. So, so what's happening, the Bible's telling us that there's two paths you can go on. Every day of your life, there are two paths you can take. Every single day of your life, every choice you make, every decision you make, every thought you make has two paths. This is what wisdom's telling us. There are two paths. So I'm going to concentrate on that tonight. It's telling us about this. Uh, two paths for right now. Right now, there's two paths. Let me give you an example. There are people here tonight, you made a conscious decision to come here tonight. Uh, there are some people tonight that are not here. Some of them have legitimate excuses. Now, I'm not telling you everybody should be here. That's not what I'm saying. It's not about me or the study. But maybe they made some decisions that really weren't a good decision today, and they can't be here, but they want to be here. And so our decisions are important. There's no small decision in life. Everything we do is based on one or two paths, and you're gonna, we'll feel the consequences of those paths. So two paths to life. There are always two choices, two paths to take. One is easy, and its only reward is that it is easy. And so 
usually the, the godly path is the hard path. How many found that to be true? The godly path isn't always the easy path. It's easy. I preached a message once when I first came to Birmingham. I was talking about Babylon. And I was talking about a, a river, the river, the Euphrates River flows into Babylon. It flowed through 18 different gates in Babylon. Babylon was a beautiful city at that time. And uh, I said, all you needed to do, and Babylon was a symbol of sin. All you needed to do, it's 1,800 miles long, the Euphrates River. All you needed to do to get to Babylon, the city of sin, was put a little boat in there and do nothing. The current would just take you right to Babylon. If you want to go against sin, you've got to go against the tide. Our world is a sinful world. The people we're around many times, if they're not Christian, are simple. And so, no wonder why we're not accepted. No wonder why. Because we go against the flow. And so this is what Psalm is telling us. He's telling us there's a wicked way and there's a good way. And you have to choose. You have to choose every day. It's not just the one choice. It's not just the choice of salvation. It's every day we got to choose that. One of the most popular songs in secular music hit the charts when I was a teenager. It was called Stairway to Heaven. How many remember that? How many know who did it? Led Zeppelin. How many know the lead singer of Led Zeppelin? Robert Plant. Oh, man, I'm talking to the right group today because we're going to talk about Robert Plant. All right? So we're going to give it right down the line. This is, now you wouldn't know this. How many of you listened to this when you were a teenager? You can say it. I was unsaved, so I listened to it. I, I'm not sure if you were saved or not. It doesn't matter. This is the album cover. That is Lucifer ascending the steps of God. Stairway to heaven. And Robert Plant was a Satanist. He made choices in his life. So were, so were the people that were in his group. So let me, uh, Stairway to Heaven, forget, and by the way, when it came out, everybody starts saying, don't listen to it because backwards it's a praise to Satan. It doesn't have to be a praise to Satan backwards. Frontwards it's bad enough. So let me just tell you what's going on. Robert Plant and Jimmy Page were both Satanists. Um, they, had, they, they had a satanic store together, and they were extremely involved in Satanism, not just fun and games or on albums. They were pushing something. So this, this song, Stairway to Heaven, which, by the way, I loved. Everybody loved that song that came out. It was just it was a, an amazing song. Let me, let me read you just a little bit. Here's the first part of it. Yes, there are two paths you can go by. Now, think about this when we're talking about wisdom's paths. You can go by it. Uh, do you want me to sing it for you? Yeah. No way. There are two paths you can go by. But in the long run, listen to what he says, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. Now, think about that. That means you can do whatever you want to do, but in the long run, you have time to change your path. That's a gamble with your eternal soul is what that is. But let me read you more of the words to it. Just I have the lyrics right here because I just practiced this in the studio. No, I'm kidding. There's a feeling I get when I look to the west. Notice it's not the east. Jesus is coming from the east. Uh, and my spirit is crying for leaving. That's leaving the earth. Uh, in my thoughts, I have seen rings of smoke through the trees. That's hell, by the way. And the voices of those who stand looking. Then it goes on to say this. Yes, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change your road, the road you're on, which, by the way, is not true necessarily, although I'll share you a little bit tonight. Um, your head is humming and it won't go because you don't know the piper's calling you to join him by the way the piper is satan himself he's calling you to join him dear lady can't you hear the wind blow and did you know your stairway lies on the whispering whispering wind and as we wind on down the road it's road of life our shadows that's our sinful natures by the way are taller than our souls what that means is our shadows our sinful nature he's trying to tell you is taller than your spiritual life and so he's promoting sin and it goes on there walks a lady we all know that's sin by the way who shines white light and wants to show 
That stairway, by the way, leads to darkness. We know that, so he's using a metaphor there. How everything still turns to gold, and we know everything doesn't turn to gold. The streets of gold are what's promised to us in heaven. So he's telling us that if you follow sin, you'll get gold. You won't. Only the streets of gold will get to you. How everything still turns to gold. And if you listen very hard, the tomb will come to you at last. He's talking, trying to give you an uh, initiate. When all are one, and one is all. That's a new age concept. To be a rock and not to, to roll. That means to have a hard heart. And uh, he says, and she's buying a stairway to heaven. Heaven can't be bought. And so this is a satanic dirge. And again, it was, none of us knew that. We, we didn't know anything. We, we sang the song. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't know a thing about that. But there's an artist behind this song who has an agenda. How many are getting this? So keep that in mind. He makes, he makes some decisions in his path. He has a hit record. And basically what happens is, uh, it goes absolutely wild, and so does Led Zeppelin. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that later on as we go a little bit further. So, let me, uh, and by the, by the way, just put that in your mind because I'm going to come back to it. So, Zechariah, chapter, chapter 2, verse 7. Aren't you glad you came tonight? says this, Come as I and escape you who live in daughter Babylon. So I told you, Babylon was representative of evil. In Scripture, you'll see that was an actual city, but it was a representative of evil, just like Egypt in Scripture in the Old Testament is representative of evil. Sodom and Gomorrah representative of evil. So Zion, obviously, is, 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 is heaven. It's, it's us. It's, a, it's the promise. And so there's a, there's a two path you see all through Scripture. In Scripture, you're going to see these, these, these uh, counterpoints of path and, and, and the anti-path that comes along. It's all about that in Scripture, by the way. And so wisdom knows that all of us have two choices and we have two natures you have a you have a sinful nature and you have a spiritual nature just because you're saved doesn't mean you've gotten rid of your sinful nature it's called the old man or old women I'm not sure that even sounds right how many understand what I'm talking about all right so scripture has loads of examples of two natures if, if you really want to know scripture but before I get there there are two paths people can take they can either play now and pay later or pay now and play later Regardless of the choice, one thing is certain, life will demand the payment. So even the ease of sin, which by the way, sin is something that, that feels good. I mean, I say this to people and they get, they get prayer meetings for me afterwards. Um, when I did dope and I did drugs and I did cocaine, I loved it. I like to tell you I hated it, but I, I loved it. It was great, it made me feel great. How many is that shock? It wasn't like I was, it wasn't like I was saying, oh, I'm gonna do this, I really hate it. I mean, it was, it was getting high, it was forgetting all your problems. How would you like to forget all your problems? Well, I was getting high, I forget all my problems. But I know that that was an easy path that was going to eventually kill me. An easy path that was eventually bring me down a wrong road. Now I can forget my problems in Christ and I don't have to take any drugs. How many, talk, how many understand what I'm talking about? So sin is an easy path. So we see these two natures all over Scripture. Let me, uh, some charts I did a long time ago. So examples of two natures, it's all over Scripture, by the way. Cain and Abel, they're opposites. Hagar and Sarah, opposites. Desire, these desires come down from above. These come up from the earth. Ishmael and Isaac, they're cousins. They're opposite. These are the Arabs today, by the way. Uh, Esau and Jacob. Esau, the Bible even tells us, he's fleshy, he's carnal, worldly, old man, original birth, Egypt, curse, short-term pleasure for long-term loss, indulgence. Jacob, spiritual, spiritual, and has a spirit, heavenly, new creation, born again, Jerusalem, blessing, long-term pleasure, sacrifice. They're totally opposite. If you go a little bit further, you can see that, that, uh, that uh, when we look at the uh, Ishmael and Isaac, uh, we can see the differences. Uh, they both come from the same father, but we can see the differences. Look at the differences. Ishmael's born under bondage. He's born in Hagar. He's wild and he's untamed. The Bible says he's going to be a wild man. Arabs are direct descendants of Ishmael. And it says that he will be set against his brother, uh, born by promise, Isaac. 
peace child, obedient, spiritual. Ishmael is going to be born under bondage, wild, untamed, fleshly, carnal. He's the old man. This is the new creation we talk about. So spiritually, Romans 7, 19 says, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Paul's talking. He says, I find a law inside me. He's telling it. I'll, I'll, sum, I'll give you a summation of it. He says, I am evil. He says, I see my evil inside me every day. And he says, it wars against me. With my mind, I want to serve the law of God. This is Romans chapter 7, verse 29. But, in, but in, in my flesh, I see evil warring against that which I know is good. That's the two natures. We all have them. Now, the longer you live a Christian life, the more that second nature is going to kind of die out. But it's still there on us. Let me give you an example. Have you ever known of a Christian, a good Christian, to gossip? So why doesn't that go when we get saved? Do you ever know a Christian to say, man, you know what? I cheated somebody the other day. Have you ever seen a Christian, and I hope you haven't, but have you seen, ever seen a Christian lose his temper and curse? Knowing that, knowing that they shouldn't? Have you ever seen a Christian do something that they, that they knew and you know they shouldn't have done? Have you ever done anything as a Christian? God, I'm getting there. Okay. So Paul is stating that he had a, he had a dichotomy, he had a, an Ishmael Isaac nature. We have an Ishmael, Ishmael Isaac nature. We, we all do. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde's spirit. So uh, how do we overcome it? The same way Ishmael was dealt with. We must cast it out. If you remember what God told Abraham, he told him to cast out Ishmael. It's a shadow and type in the Old Testament. It's when you see that Ishmael nature in yourself, cast it away. It's what Proverbs is saying. You're going to see this Bible just kind of melt together. Proverbs is saying, don't follow the evil path. Cast it out. Every one of us have choices. And again, this is not, not necessarily the, all the big choices. It's simple choices in life. Let me give you a little bit more of the history here. So Abraham has, has Hagar, goes down to Hagar. Abraham, by the way, is the father of faith. The first several tests of faith he had, he failed miserably. If I, were to be, if I was Abraham's teacher and he was taking a test out of faith, I'd give him an F on the first several things he did. Because he was told not to take anybody from his family with him. He took Haran, his brother. That's an F. He was told that God was going to give him a son. Uh, he couldn't wait. He went down to Egypt to get Hagar, a handmaiden. That's an F. Uh, later, later down the line, he's going to do really well, but not off the bat. So he has Hagar. He has a, uh, the slave. Sarah's free. So he has Ishmael, son of natural birth. Isaac was a son of promise. We have uh, Ishmael trusting good deeds in bondage to sin. Faith in Christ, free from the power of sin. Rejected by God, Ishmael was, by the way, so was Hagar. Accepted by God. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are the children of Abraham. So we, we know three major religions can, change, can put their lineage back to Abraham, but there's a big difference in those religions. Look at this one. Abraham has Isaac, Zimram, Jokshan, Midan, Midan, Mishbak, Shua. And you don't know those other ones because he had them later in life. But Isaac and Ishmael, you know. Isaac has sons Esau and Jacob. Th these two are opposites. These two are opposites. Then Jacob has the 12 sons, the 12 tribes. Then from the 12 tribes, Judah is the, is the tribe that Christ comes from. And he comes from Pharez all the way down to Jesus. But look at Levi, the priestly tribes. He has Gershon, Kohath, and Merai. Amram, Ishma, Hebron, and Uziel. Aaron and Moses, they come from here. So Ishmael, traced, the lineage of Muhammad is traced straight through to Ishmael. Ishmael. Muhammad is a product of evil. He had an opportunity to be saved like everybody does. But he's a direct product of it. How many of you are seeing this? It's our world. Our world is good and bad. Our world has both sides in it. The Bible has both sides in it. We have both sides in it. We have an Ishmael, uh, Isaac nature. Somebody raise your hand if you agree with that. We do. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, we'll talk later. It's the origin of the Middle East crisis. Hagar, Ishmael, and the, Ishmael, by the way, had 12 tribes also. 
12, 12 names came from him. Had 12 sons like Jacob, Genesis chapter 25, they say they settled east of Egypt, which is sure, all the way to Assyria, where the Arab nations are still there today. They're in the exact same spot that the uh, Bible tells us uh, that, uh, that the Ishmael's uh, sons were. Genesis 37 identifies the Midianites with the Ishmaelites. Genesis 29 links them up with the Edomites through Esau's marriage. Then you have the 12 tribes of, of Jacob. We have Jacob, Abraham's grandson, through the promised son. Isaac had 12 tribes, gained the new name of their father, Israel. Israel is, of course, the same nation embroiled in the Middle East conflict today. The animosities of the Arabs against the Jews continue to this day. Now, I told you there's three major monotheistic religions that come out of it. We have, we have Islam that comes over here on this side from Ishmael and Muhammad. And we have Judaism and Christianity. You are not a separate entity. Christianity is a fulfillment of being a Jew. It is the full, you are adopted in. So it's only, you're still only two sides. So you are adopted in. So how many are seeing the pattern tonight? How many are with me tonight? How many are learning a little bit tonight? All right. I'm not even teaching it. So let me show you how this Isaac nature is so powerful because Isaac and Jesus have similar lives. Isaac and Jesus, Isaac was a shadow and type of Christ. And people don't know that, but I wanted to know that Isaac is an Old Testament shadow and type of Christ. He's pointing us to Christ. He took his own wood up onto an altar. Uh, he, he was the one that was being sacrificed. Now, let me give it to you all the way down the line. I tried it a long time ago. Isaac and Jesus, their births, both were promised births, by the way. Both had long interval between promise and the fulfillment. Both announcements were declared impossible. Uh, we know that Isaac's mother was very old and not able to have children. Both named before they were born. Both births occurred at the God's appointed time. Both births were a joy to their fathers. That's all the Bible says. Both sons were obedient to take to their fathers. Sacrifices. Both were 33 years old when they were went to sacrifice. Both were on Mount Moriah, the exact same mountain. Isaiah went up the exact same mountain Christ went up on Calvary. It's Moriah. Uh, they, were, they were the only sons, the Bible says. Both were, were well loved. Uh, both sacrifices were started in early in the morning. Both had two men go with them. Both uh, bore their own wood. And both took three days for the fathers to to uh, re receive their sons back their sons back because it took a three-day journey for Abraham to come back down marriages is there a shadow and type here also yes there will be an amazing parallel between the bride of Isaac and the bride of Christ in an age of polygamy Isaac was one of the only ones in the Old Testament that only married one bride uh, we get a full picture of God's intent for his son by looking into Isaac and Rebecca's relationship so let me give it to you a little bit better a little bit more promised son promised son Jesus and there's the verses miraculously conceived uh, the father sacrifices the son, your only son whom you love. That's what it said, both of them. Sacrificed on Moriah. Burnt offering, sacrificial lamb. Both burnt offering, sacrificial lamb. By the way, the ram is a male lamb. But he would carry the wood, he would carry his cross. A voluntarily sacrificed self, he laid down willingly. He, Jesus laid down willingly. The ram's head caught in the thicket, the lamb's head with a crown of thorns. The thicket, by the way, was a thorny crown. So it's a parallel all the way down the line. And so we see these natures, and God has shown it to us, all over scripture. Scripture in the Bible is not something that tells us about science, although it will. It's not trying to prove astrophysics, astrophysics although it could. It's not trying to, to prove any type of water transformation from the earth to the, to the heavens through evaporation, although it does. It's trying to show us our natures and God's nature over ours. That's the whole, it's a revelation of God to man. So you'll see it all over scripture. And this is what Proverbs is about. It's about telling you how to be on that right side every time in your life. You still with me tonight? So, Paul goes on to tell the, in Romans chapter 7 and 8 about our two natures, even after we've been saved. He says this, he says, For I know that in me, I was been telling you this before, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. 
for the good that I will I do the good that I will to do I don't do it but the evil I don't want to do that I practice this is Paul he's writing and he's writing to he's writing to the Romans he's a believer now if I do what I do not do uh, what I will not to do it is no longer I that does it but sin that dwells in me I find then a law evil is present with me the one who wills to do good for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. So he's saying, I find this law inside me, that I love God with everything I have, but I have this, this other nature. And he's giving us something. And where do you think Paul got his sin nature from that popped up daily in his life? It's hereditary. We, we inherit the sin nature from Adam. Somebody once said to me, man, if Adam wouldn't have sinned, I said, what? You would have you you been okay? If he would put you in the garden, you think you wouldn't have sinned? Trust me, we have a nature. We have a sin bend. We have a sin nature. So it goes on to say this in Romans 7.25. He says this. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me, King James says, who will deliver me from the body of this death, from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And I love the fact that Scripture was not written in... Uh, there were no chapter breaks in Scripture. There was no chapter 7 and chapter... That came in the 1500s. So it was one letter. So he goes on to it in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk not after the flesh, but after God. So you and I are not condemned because we have a sin nature, because we're not trying to walk that way. He's telling you, grace abounds in our lives so we can walk in our, in our Isaac nature. How many are getting this? But in Proverbs, there's no such thing as grace. In Proverbs, it's the Old Testament, and he's warning. And I think that warning is a good warning for all of us. So we see that uh, in 1 Corinthians, it says this. It says, I die, as Paul again, I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as Jesus our Lord. He's saying this. I get up in the morning, and because I have a sinful nature, I take out my 44 Magnum, and I shoot myself every day. I have to kill that simple nature in me every day because we have a bend towards that. And again, this isn't popular today. Nobody wants to preach it. Nobody wants to teach it. But it's the truth. And here it is. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh. These are in opposition one to another so that you may not do the things that you please. That's Galatians. what I just read to you. Let me give you a better illustration of it. This is you and me. We're in a tug of war. Our lives are a tug of war. How many of you ever had, and I'm going to ask you to confess your sins to me, but how many of you ever had a thought that you knew was not a godly thought? How many of you ever did something you knew wasn't godly and you felt horrible? This is our sin nature. Our sin nature pulls on us all the time. Proverbs, Solomon wants you to know that. He wants you to be aware every moment of every day that you have to make choices. How many are getting this tonight? All right. So, what we, what we see here is some other scripture verse I want to just lead you to. Just a couple before we go on. Abolishing his flesh, this is Jesus. Abolishing his flesh. We just told you sin nature is in the flesh. So his nature dies. Now watch. Abolishing the flesh in his flesh, the law of the commandments and ordinances. In other words, everything that was gone against. That he might create the two in himself into one new man. So when Jesus came, he took the sin nature of man and the God nature and he put him into one. That's why Jesus had no sin. Jesus was someone who didn't sin. He took our sin on himself and he brought it into one so that you and I can't be condemned. So that you and I can walk in grace. How many are getting this? These scripture verses mean nothing unless you take it into something like this, this kind of study. Another one. Watch what it says. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. It's two paths. You walk by the Spirit or you walk by the flesh. That's exactly what Proverbs is saying. Walk by the Spirit. Let me give you another one. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, 
but after the Spirit. So here you have that two path again. There's no condemnation in us. We're not condemned because we're walking after the Spirit, because we have a heart towards God. We know our limitations, but we have a heart towards God. That's salvation. That's what it does. It makes the slate clean. It justifies us. The word justification means just as if you've never sinned. And so it just justifies us. So Proverbs is telling us and warning us. Romans 8.13 says one more time. For if you are living according to the flesh. Now this is a lifestyle according to the flesh. This is why when someone comes to church and says, you know, I'm an adulterer and I love God and I'm a Christian and I'm going to stay an adulterer. You're wrong. You're living by the flesh. You cannot coordinate both of those together. And so when you see somebody saying, and again, a homosexuality is no different than adultery. It's sin. When somebody comes in and says, I'm a homosexual, but I'm a Christian and I'm staying, you know, and God loves me. You're living by the flesh. It's against scripture. And so you're trying to combine two and you can't combine those. It's against scripture. So for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting uh, to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So when I sin, I ask forgiveness. I don't want to do it again. I don't do it because Paul says, do we sin so grace abounds? God forbid. Well, I know grace is there. I know it'll cover me, but I'm not trying when I, I'm not trying to sin just so God, because I have an escape route. Matter of fact, when I was talking to that lady last, last week, she asked me about eternal security. She asked me about, uh, and I could tell she wasn't saved. And she asked me about eternal security. She asked me about uh, if the rapture happens and I have a sin. She says, you have a sin. The rapture happens and you have a sin. You lied that day. Is God going to take you? I said, of course he is. And she said, what do you mean, of course he is? You, you have a sin. I said, God knows my heart. He knows if I'm living a lifestyle of sin or if I have made a mistake in, in one area of my life. He knows my heart. He knows whether I'll confess or not. I said, you cannot think that God is this guy, that God is this judge that, that says, uh, I have a reason for not keeping you into heaven, bringing you in heaven. The Bible says that he would have that none would perish. Now, does that make me sin? Does that give me incentive to sin? Of course not, because I want to, I want to live a good life. How many are getting this tonight? This is great theology for you, and I'm not even in Proverbs yet. All right, so let me go a little bit further and just give you a little bit more. So the real truth of Christianity that Jesus taught us was to expose and not hide our sin nature. Oh boy, this is, that's what Paul was talking about. Paul is the writer of 17 New Testament books, and he's telling them I'm a sinner. I remember telling something like that from a pulpit in cathedral. There's probably 6,000 people there, and I said, I said about me being a sinner. Uh, about four little ladies came up afterwards and said, Pastor, you, you can't say that. I said, what do you mean I can't say that? What will people think of you? I said, I hope they think I'm a sinner. And she said, well, you know, you're an example. I said, of course I'm an example. It doesn't mean I'm not a sinner. We're all sinners. And then one lady said to me, well, you could tell us your sins. I said, I'm not talking about any big sins that I'm hiding. I'm just talking about me being a sinner. We're all sinners. How many understand what we're talking about? We have hidden our sins in Christianity, and it's really wrong. Let me just tell you how, how wrong it is. So when we hide it, we create a stairway to a false heaven. Listen. Even Robert Plant knew that when he wrote our shadows, our sin natures, are larger than our souls. In Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon is telling us about our two natures. Wisdom wants, to be, wants us to be honest. Jesus wants to be honest with ourselves and with others. The, the uh, trap of modern Christianity is to appear honest so others will be fooled by your facade. That's a trap. And deep down, hide our sins in the shadows. When I got saved, man, I told people, my sins were like, a eight, well, like an eight-lane highway. They were just huge. And when I got saved, that got narrowed down to, a, to kind of like a one-lane highway. And uh, I'm still working on it. It's maybe a towpath, but I'm still working on it. Everybody else is. Um, but I remember getting saved, and I think I've said this in the other study. I probably haven't said it here. And one of the things I had trouble with uh, breaking was, was smoking. I was, uh, smoked three and a half packs of cigarettes a day. And uh, I had trouble breaking it. So I was a song leader in a, in a church. I was on the board. I just helped build, uh, build the building for the, for the church. And no one knew I smoked. 
and um, except Cheryl, I think she had some idea about it. Uh, I would lie to her though about it, and because uh, I'd sneak it, but it was hard for me to quit. And so um, I would I would just battle with that over and over. I knew I was saved, I knew I loved God, but I knew I was killing myself for doing it. My father died of a heart attack. You know, you know my family history. I've told you that before. And so I was convicted of it. For me, it was a sin. Somebody said, well, you know, does that mean if you, if you smoke, you're not going to go to heaven? No, you will. You go to the smoking side. Um, but, um, so I was really convicted of it. And basically what happened was, you know, I had to wrestle that within my life and get that down. Did that make me less of a Christian? No. It was going to harm me. Sin doesn't make you less of a Christian. It harms you while you're here. So the wages of sin is death. And so if you have sin that's, that's habitual and, you, and you're trying to fight it, that sin will hurt you. Uh, if you're an alcoholic, you'll get cirrhosis of the liver. I mean, you know, so basically sin hurts. Sin has its own penalty inside of it. Uh, again, Paul's trying to tell us this. We have to be honest. If I would have been able to go to my pastor and tell him, listen, I need you to pray for me, I, I couldn't trust them. I would think he would say, well, you can't leave song service. You can't be part of the church because they were very judgmental. And so... But if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be a pastor today. Instead, I had to take that battle on and go through. How many of you are witnessing this tonight? How many are understanding this? We can't hide our sin natures. We have to be able to accept it. Deep down, we have to do it. We, the church, have almost made honesty a sin all by itself. If you, if you confess a fault someone else doesn't have, you'll be judged by them. And that's just not right according to Jesus. It's not right for any of us to judge anyone. Somebody say amen to that. Listen, I'm teaching, but don't get me riled because I'll start preaching. All right. I shared this recently. Let me share it again. Luke 18. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not a thief, a rogue, an adulterer, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus is talking. This man... Uh, went down to this home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. So let me put it to you into modern tense, okay? Let me just step it up. Two men, two, the two of me went up to the, church, to the church to pray. One of me said, God, I'm so thankful I'm not a drug addict anymore, a pimp, a prostitute, a whoremonger, a murderer, an adulterer, a homosexual, a rapist, or a bigot like other people I see all around me. Then uh, a drug addict, pimp standing in the back of the church wouldn't even look up but kept crying with his real with real tears and said God please help me to stop sinning who's who's justified the Bible says who will walk away with God's justice and his covering the one who's humble the one who remits who he is and so that's what Paul's doing so how does wisdom fit into all this tonight well wisdom tells us there's always two paths that we can take in life it's driving home that life message on almost all decisions and certainly on all of our thoughts and actions, there are two ways to go and they're opposite ways. Wisdom is trying to guide us here to be cautious and to choose the godly path always, the high road in life always. And this is a choice of life all the time. The high road, take the high road because the view is better. And basically it's better to walk alone than with a crowd going in the wrong direction. Nothing gives one person so much advantage over another as to remain always cool and unruffled under all circumstances. That's Thomas Jefferson. Nobody should be able to get your goat. Nobody should be able to make you change. You have to have a choice on that. You have to make a decision. If there's an anger problem, you have to, you have to take war on that. Then Proverbs chapter 4, after telling us of the two paths we can choose in life, Solomon uses a type of poetic parallelism that he will use throughout Proverbs. I'm going to close soon. To make his point and counterpoint, let me explain it to you. This is parallelism that he uses. It's all over Proverbs. Uh, tip, types of poetic parallelism. Antithetic parallelism. The second 
line that he will write states the opposite view of the first in order to emphasize the point. An example in Proverbs 3.33, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesses the habitation of the just. He's going to use that all through Proverbs, and here's where he's going to use it tonight. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full bright of day, but the way of the wicked is like complete darkness. Those who follow it have no idea what they're stumbling over. It's pretty simplistic, but it's pretty powerful. He's telling us something. Uh, here's the King James version of it, and let me give you let me give you the uh, let me give you another version of it here. Well, no, before I do that, let me do this. As we continue to see it, let me just give you one more thing as we go on. This will actually be our proverb of the week, by the way, and here it is. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shines more and more into the perfect day. Let me give you some of the words that are used there. Path, orak, well-traveled road, just, uh, sadiq, uh, forensically clean, shining, noga or, glittering in light, perfect day, kun yom, the day you finally stand straight up in God's provisions and promises, 24 hours. Now listen to this real well. Psalm is telling us that when we choose wisdom every day, every day, the right path, it will bring blessings literally to us every single day. So when you make 24 hours, he's talking about 24 hours, that's literal. So when you make a right choice for God in a day, that day will give you 24 hours of blessings. And he's telling you that to let you know that this isn't something you do once and then you forget about it. It's when you do it today and you make that right decision, that entire day will be, you'll have blessings. Man, I've seen that in my life many, many times. There's only one road, one way. Solomon said, wisdom says it, and Jesus says it. Let me close by reading the words of another old song from a Christian group. And then I'm going to tell you something that will probably shock you. This is from a Christian group by the name of um, Newsboys. I remember them. Okay. It says, oh, hello. So here goes, stepping right up into the microphone. I say, hey, man, there's only one way. Remember Stairway to Heaven? Two ways. One God, one body, one faith alone. If you don't know, then you need to be told. I say, hey, boy, it's a narrow road. I say hello to anyone who's listening. The message isn't nothing new. I don't decide what's true. So I told you about two paths, didn't I? Two paths. So let me tell you about Robert Plant. That's the lead singer for Led Zeppelin in his prime, Robert Plant. Let me tell you about him. So he was an alcoholic. He was, he was a drug addict. He was married. He had two children. Uh, his son was, was the love of his life. He was a Satanist, and he had a satanic store. Uh, he came to do a, a, a worldwide tour starting in America. And as he kicked off the tour, trouble started right from the beginning. The first place he was at, I think it was in California, there was a riot that broke out. One of the people from his, his entourage uh, beat another person senseless almost to death. And then what happened was he went to another concert, the next one, and then the very next night, someplace else, and it was outside, sold out, and a massive rainstorm came up and stopped, it, and stopped this concert. Then he gets a call from his wife the next week, and oh, before this, he, right before he came over, he had a, a tragic uh, accident and almost died, him and his wife. And then he got laryngitis before he came over, and had, a con had to uh, cancel the concert for four months and all of his equipment was shipped over and they couldn't practice. And then he gets a call from his wife when the concerts are going after all the tragedies and she tells him that her st his son has a stomach virus, five years old, love of his life. Then she calls him back the next night and tells him his son is dead. And so Robert Plant was in a tizzy all the way down the line, came back, went back to England and just didn't want to do anything anymore. They finally convinced him to come back and they did. But he said in 2015, in an interview with uh, Rolling Stones, he said, I came up, I'm quoting, I came to the point in my life where uh, I have one bad choice after another and it cost me dearly. Today, Robert Plant is a Christian. 
and he plays for churches in England and all the proceeds go to every single cent goes to Christian uh, ch Children's Society Christian Aid and Open Door Society for him at least here's the ironic part of this for him at least what he wrote actually happened it's not too late to change the road you're on for him it wasn't but for most people it is so wisdom wants you to know and to tell your children and your friends about the right choices and oh yeah his last album he recorded was an old Christian song he wrote it's called Satan your kingdom's coming down so you've got to love some story like that but the whole idea of this whole thing is that we make choices he obviously had an opportunity to make the right choice but think of all the things he had to go through before that happened you and I have been blessed have we not yes sure well as a matter of fact let me tell you something about that which is which I read about him very interesting they want him to tour and he if he toured with Led Zeppelin or any type of group like that he would get millions and millions of dollars uh, he will not tour he goes to churches that have sometimes a hundred people 200 people and he'll he'll he'll, uh, he'll sing in churches that have he will not do anything for it that's that's uh, secular that's that brings him a lot of money so when you think about that though think about the case in that study most rockers don't know anything about this most people who follow this don't even know that it was satanic in the beginning and don't, but this man played dearly uh, and just at the right moment God took God used everything that was negative in his life he started making positive choices and he, he ends up in a spot where the end is better than the beginning but not everybody gets that way and why would you want to go through all that trouble to get to that spot amen let's pray father again we thank you and praise you tonight I thank you Lord God that wisdom does tell us that there are two choices in life tomorrow will be tested tomorrow and the next day we'll have choices they may be small ones they may be tiny ones Lord but those choices will, will add up to a lifestyle and I pray tonight Lord God that every single one of us will recognize that we need to make the right choice every time and I thank you for it Lord bless us now in Jesus name Amen one last thing tomorrow I'm going to be teaching on um, an axe and I just thought about it and I want to let you know about it there's one verse of scripture that actually revolutionized my life and I'm going to give this I'm going to give this tomorrow and I'm not sure everybody's going to get it but I'm going to give it I was in a restaurant not too long ago I was going to a restaurant and nobody knows this Cheryl didn't know it no one knew it I'm telling you it and I was walking towards the front door and a little wrapper a little piece of paper blew past me the wind was blowing pretty much and it blew past me and a verse of scripture came into my life, my mind and I reached down and it was going into the into the uh, into the landscape so it wouldn't have been nobody would have found it I reached down I picked it up and I put it in my pocket and I because of this verse of scripture it's called the golden rule you do unto others as you would have them do unto you and I thought would I want someone to come to my door see something pass by their their feet and pick it up the answer was yes so if I would want somebody to do it, it means I have to do it. How many understand what I'm talking That's a very simple thing, but it has ruled my life, and I try to do it every single day of my life. What would I want someone to do for me? Would I want, to talk, would I want somebody to talk about me? Well, then I shouldn't talk about them. Would I want somebody to steal something from me? Then I shouldn't steal anything from someone else. Would I want somebody to lie about me? Then I shouldn't lie about them. So this is what Proverbs is talking about. There's, a two, there's, a re, there's a two paths, and you can choose it every single day. That's our study for tonight. Thank you.